Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. I don't know about you, but I am extremely glad and grateful to God for the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away all my sins. Has it washed away all your sins? Sure it has. He took away the sins of the world. This lamb took care of business. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm grateful to God that Jesus paid it all. I'm grateful to God to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. I thank God for that wonderful gift that he's given me to be able to declare the mysteries of God, to edify myself in him, to have another avenue to speak to God. Through, not through my own mind, not through my own understanding, but through the utterance of the Spirit of God. Aren't you grateful to God for these amazing gifts that he's given us and the advantage that we have as his children in this world? See, you were created, created in him to have dominion in this earth. You were created in him to walk by faith and not by sight. You're created in Christ Jesus, a whole new creation, to not dwell on the old things because that's not who you are. You were that, but now you're something new today. And the scripture says, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Anybody happy to know that tonight then and to know that God is on your side and nothing is impossible with him and nothing is impossible to those who believe in him. Are there any believers out there tonight? Come on, I need you shouting tonight. I need to hear from you tonight because God truly is good and he's never going to change. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. What that means is every good thing in your life, think about it, every good thing in your life comes from him. I think we've missed that sometimes. I think we overlook it. I think we take it for granted sometimes. Think about every good thing in your life and throughout your day. His protection on your life, his provision, health in your body, strength in your weakness, joy. That just continues to bubble up over and over again. This is the reality of life experienced in Christ. And that in him, the scripture says, though the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. That means every day it's a new thing with God. It never wears out, never grows old. It just keeps getting gooder. That's my favorite word. Just just kidding. It's not. I'm glad to be part of the church because here's the thing about the church. The church is what is being built by God himself. Jesus said, I will build my church. And my family... Let me say something about that. There ain't nothing the devil can do about that if he's building it. And when you, and when you are building what Jesus is building, when you're, then you are serving your ultimate purpose in the earth. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I'll stand my ground. Won't be turned around. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground. And I won't back down. 
That is the church's song right there. Written by the great theologian, the late, great Tom Petty. Every, the first time I heard that song, I said, that's the church. It's the church. It's a wonderful song. And he will be missed in the music world. No doubt about it. He wrote some great music. So we can be praying for his family and those who are suffering that loss. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to jump over a few chapters. We've been in the 1 Corinthians for the most part. As on Wednesday nights, we've been covering the Corinthian letters. As you know, this is the Bible course I teach at Christ for the Nations. And so I'm giving you a condensed version of it here. And remember, this is a classroom setting. So if you have a question all along the way during this message tonight, feel free to raise your hand. But understand that when you raise your hand to ask the question, we're going to put a microphone in front of you uh, for a few reasons. One, so everybody here in the room can hear your question. But we also have people listening or tuning in by live stream and then those who are subscribed to our podcast. And I want everybody to be able to hear what's going on in the room, all right, so we can be as informative and we can all learn together. Is that all right with you tonight? Do we have a microphone ready to be handed out just in case? We have one. Jesse, can you be my mic man tonight? All right, wonderful. Before we begin to read, I want you, let's just pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to be upon your people now. Lord, we want to know you more right now. Lord, this experience right now, we've come here, Lord, to worship you and to bless you and to enjoy the rich fellowship of the body of Christ, Lord, of our brothers and sisters. And Lord, now we want to hear from you. We want your word to take root in our lives. We want that seed to sink deep into the soil of our hearts so that, God, we can experience all the life that's in it. Your word is life to those who find it, and it is health to all of their flesh. And we thank you right now for your spirit that is upon this word, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of Almighty God. And Father, as we receive your word tonight, we know, God, our lives get better. Our experiences get better. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for all the benefits that come with your word. As David said, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God, that it is living and powerful. It's relevant for our every situation. It's the answer for every dimension of man, spirit, soul, and body. So we welcome it with open arms and with a heart ready to believe it. Tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Tonight I'm just going to begin. We're going to just kind of start scratching the surface because this is such a large subject. Now our launching pad is going to be here in Second Corinthians 3. But can, I, can we just go ahead tonight and skip the chips and salsa? Skip the appetizers? Skip the salad and just put the steak on the plate? All right, can you handle some steak tonight? We're going to get right in to the meat of the word tonight. Amen. So get ready. Got your fork and knife out? Come on, show me your fork and knife. All right. Because we're talking on the subject of the old covenant versus the new covenant. Now that's a big subject. The contrast between the old and new covenants. And it's so important for believers today, for the church of the living God today, to understand where we are. What covenant we're in, what covenant we are not in, 
<laughs> and that you can't be in both. I said you can't be in both. And you, I promise you, you'll be, you're happy about that. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Did you see that? Paul said we are ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, what letter is he talking about? What is the letter that he's speaking of? A letter from your great aunt? <laughs> he's speaking of the law of commandments. All right. And, and we're going to see that as we go further down in this chapter. All right. So we understand that the law is the letter, but the new covenant is of the spirit. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. You don't have to bring it up on the screen. Whoever that, who is back there behind the computer? Brooke. God bless you, Brooke. Sorry I didn't give you any of these scriptures. You're good on the fly, though. Paul says in Romans 7, 6, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What is Paul teaching us there? What is he saying to us? That we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That is, now we are governed by and guided by and led by the Spirit of the living God. Based on what Jesus has done for us. That's what gave the Spirit entrance into our hearts. Was when we believed that Jesus' performance was the only thing that could satisfy God's judgment and wrath. What He did... He finished it. The work that he accomplished, he finished it. And so now the oldness of the letter was that you better work and you better strive and you better perform right. But we live not by the oldness of the letter, but by the newness of the spirit. And that is nothing but a position of rest in him. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3, but if the ministry of death Written and engraved on stones. Let's stop there. What was written and engraved on stones? The Ten Commandments specifically, right? Twice, actually. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. And Paul says that it is the ministry of death. It's strong language here. The law kills. Uh, Paul says again in Romans. Let me listen to this. Romans chapter 7. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Isn't that interesting? That Paul said, there's this law, but I could not perform what that law demanded. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look stead, steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Now that's interesting. Remember when Moses had that 40-day meeting with God on the mountain? And when he came down, his face was reflecting that experience with God. Right? So they put a veil over his face. Now it's been taught 
It's been taught. I remember when I was a kid and I learned this stuff in Sunday school that they put it over his face because his face was too shiny for him to look at. It was blinding to him. But that's not why the, Moses put the veil over his face. Watch this. We'll keep reading. So this teaches us in that verse that the law was glorious, but that glory was temporary. That glory was passing away. Verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Say more glorious. Huh? The ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, wow. Okay, so now what we understand about this law of commandments that was written and engraved on stones, number one, it's the ministry of death, and now it says it's the ministry of condemnation. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Wow. The law is the ministry of condemnation. The new covenant is the ministry of righteousness. All right, so we're going to look at these contrasts as we go. For even, verse 10, what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, it's saying compared to this New Testament glory of the Spirit, this one had no glory. Because this one excels. That means it gets greater. It gets grander. It grows. That glory was fading away. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Woo. Which means then that covenant, which is the new covenant, is still in effect. This is where we are today. 2,000 plus years later, the new covenant, because it remains, it's still in effect. And let me tell you, family, it's getting more glorious as the days go by. Don't be fooled by what's happening in the world to think that the church isn't doing something in the world. Because I've been around the world, and I have seen the glory of God on many faces, on many races, on many tongues. And I mean the church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to prosper in the world. All right? Yeah, the world is troubled. But this, as the pressure, I feel like, let me say this, I, I feel like in this day and age that we're somewhat in a pressure cooker right now, which excites me to no end. Because every time the, the pressure gets put on the church, the church blows up. The church gets stronger. The church grows. Signs and wonders break out. So I'm just telling you, we're right on the cusp. We're right here on the edge of something marvelous, and we're going to see a move and a glory that we have been yearning for, that we've been crying out for, that we've been praying for, that we've been declaring in the earth. We're living in a glorious day because of the glory that excels. Okay, go to Hebrews chapter 8 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Did you see what that said? If the first covenant had been faultless. So what was faulty about the first covenant? What did you say? We couldn't live up to it. Think about this. The children of Israel, don't, don't forget this. Bringing the law was not God's idea. It was what the children of Israel asked for. Remember, they were all invited. 
to the presence of God. But they saw that black smoke, heard the thunder, saw the lightning, and said, I don't think we want to do that. Moses, why don't you go up on the mountain? And this, this, this is the arrogance of man. Whatever God tells you to tell us to do, we will do it. The first commandment that God wrote down was, you shall have no other gods before me. And what is happening down at the bottom of the mountain? They're constructing a golden calf to worship. <laughs> if that first covenant had been faultless, so how was then this law, which was holy? Paul, Paul said that the law is holy and just and good. Then how is it not faultless? Well, we've got to keep reading. Look at verse 8. For finding fault with them. There it is. What, that, what did that just tell us about the law? It's a fault finder. Hmm? It could diagnose the problem. We are sinners. We cannot perform this law. But it couldn't do anything to cure us. It couldn't make us righteous. It could only tell us the problem. And it was a glaring problem. Finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Watch, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. The old covenant was a fault finder, but the new covenant finds no fault. You see how different these two things are. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are a lot of churches who are finding fault all the time. Their sermons are constructed about finding fault with people. Still, still preaching under the context of an old covenant like Jesus didn't even come. Like a new covenant hadn't been birthed. And people are oppressed and, and condemned and shamed and, and they're not changing. They're not overcoming because they're made to feel like that, that they better straighten up and they have no security in God. And so every week they better be at that altar bawling their eyes out. They better, be, they better walk in the fear of God. Be very afraid. Well, let me ask you something. If this is our reality as Christians, then what makes Christianity better than any other religion if there are no absolutes. All, all of them are just wishing, hoping it all works out in the end. Hey, you got a better covenant than that, my family. He, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He's the once for all sacrifice. The very fact that Jesus sat down tells us that there was no more need for another sacrifice for our sins. It's once for all. It's a done thing. Aren't you grateful for Jesus tonight? And so he secured our place. We couldn't, so he did it for us. 
In that he says, verse 13, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Everybody say obsolete. What's the first covenant? It's the old covenant, that under the law. And what did he make it? He has made the first. Who did that? Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3 now. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, you see that? Since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses. Now watch how he makes the contrast here. We have great boldness of speech. Why? Because we have hope. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily, watch, at the end of what was passing away. So that they could not steadily look steadily at the end. In other words, Moses put that veil on his face because the light started growing dimmer, and he didn't want them to know that the light was fading. He, didn't want to, he wanted to keep them thinking that he was still shining under there. But that glory was fading away. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded for until this day. Look at this. The same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. So they're still looking to a glory that long has faded away. Because the veil is taken away where? In Christ. Come on. The veil is taken away in Christ. Ooh. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So what does that tell us? That the law will only make one blind. In this, in this dispensation of the new covenant, trying to live under an old covenant reality will only blind you. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 now. Are you still with me? Can you take some more? How's the steak so far? Is it good? All right. You need some of that Mexican, spicy Mexican butter on it? Man, let's just think about that for a moment. You had me at spicy. Then you had me at Mexican. Then you had me at butter. Three of my favorite words. <laughs> First Timothy 1, 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, Rather than godly edification, which is in faith. What's in, what, what, what is in faith? Godly edification. Why do we preach faith at One Cause Church? So that you be edified. Hmm? Okay. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Now here's idle talk. What is idle talk? It's empty words. Empty words. And this is what empty idle talk looks like. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Wow. <laughs> Understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Yeah. Well, you got to balance. You got to balance uh, grace. I'm sorry, buddy. There is no balance for grace, it is extreme. You can't balance grace. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Well, now, I mean, religious, 
legalistic people get so afraid of this kind of language. They get afraid of this. Now, but, 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 what, but, but you got to do it, but you got, but you got. Hush for a second. Let the gospel just do its work. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But there are those who are ashamed of it. So they got to add stuff to it. They got to add a list of rules to it. Instead of just believing that it is and it alone is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen to me. If it will save you, if the gospel will save you, if the gospel will save you, then it will also teach you how to live right. Hmm? The grace of God that has appeared to all men. It's appeared to all men. This is what Titus chapter 2, I believe, says. Verse 11. For the grace of God that has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to deny ungodliness. Wow. Okay, let's keep moving. From which some having strayed turned aside to idle talk. So I want to say this and then, and then I'll, I'll finish with some scriptures, all right? The law does not bring people to Christ. The law does not bring people to Christ. It actually brings them to self-righteousness. Now, a scripture one might use to refute what I just said would be found in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. So why don't we look at that and deal with that? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Now, this is the New King James Version. Look what it says. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That is a horrible translation. To bring us to, or bring us to, if you look in your Bible, it's actually italicized. It it means it was added by the translators. What wasn't it? It actually says, therefore, the law was our tutor to Christ or until Christ. Uh, Of all versions, New Living Translation actually has a good translation of this. As my dad would call it, the Toys R Us version of the Bible. Let Let me put it another way, he says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So think about it. If the law brings people to Christ, then why was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisees, trying to destroy the church? If that's what it does, then why was he so far from that? How about the Pharisees? I mean, who were Jesus' greatest opposers? Teachers of the law. Right? He comes. Did that law bring them to him? No. It brought them to them. Let me show you. Philippians chapter 3. Can you, can you take a few more scriptures? It's only 8 o'clock. I mean, come on. Now listen, some of you... Some of you, about this time, you just started getting ready. (laughs) Eight o'clock is the beginning for for some of you. (laughs) I used to be that way. (laughs) Eight o'clock, I'm thinking, how soon can I go to bed? (laughs) Philippians 3, 8. Yet I indeed... Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
that I may gain Christ. Now he's going to tell us what those things were. And be found in him. Now watch this. Be found where? And be found, verse 9, in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So the law does not bring you to Christ. It brings you to self-righteousness. Paul said, I can, matter of fact, one place he said concerning the law, I was blameless. And this is what it got me. Self-righteousness. That's the best I could get. I was the best acting, cleanest sinner you have ever known in your life. And as much as Paul did all that stuff so well, if he had not had an encounter with Jesus, he would have gone to hell with all the murderers, the thieves, the liars, every one of them. Because you cannot be saved by your performance. There are a lot of people who are depending on their performance. They're really depending on how well they do. And that's the lie. That's the tragedy. And the devil started that from the very beginning. God knows that if you eat that fruit, then you'll be like him and you'll know good and evil. In other words, you'll get to be your own God. Not having my own righteousness, not, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Watch, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. There's only one way to be made truly righteous by faith in him. Period. Okay. Let's finish up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go back there to verse 16. Oh man, I'm telling you, we, whew, we have so much to discuss. 2 Timothy, I mean, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 3.16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Isn't that wonderful? When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. That's why Paul could say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. I mean, we talked about this, the area of the conscience where Paul deals with that head on. And he says, teaches us about real Christian maturity. You can either live by what you can do, or you can live by what is helpful. All right? You have the liberty. All things are lawful. But just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So you can either choose liberty, or you can choose love. And when it comes to our brothers and sisters, my family, we have to choose love over liberty every time. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You know, you know right now, as a child of God, you are being transformed. You're being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the new covenant, it's, it's enlightening. It reveals to us the true glory of God. It reveals to us, and it's found in the person, the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the scripture says, who is the express image. The express image of God. You want to see what God looks like? He looks like Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said. Hmm? Know that. 
God becoming a man was the most glorious thing that could ever happen for all mankind. The very fact that he became a man proved to us all that God truly is on our side. And he truly wants us all in his family. All right, I have to stop right there because we're going to go to a whole other realm here in this, in this next part of this teaching. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this tonight. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've been encouraged and learned something. Learn something tonight. Um, but before I, before I pray, if, is there anyone here tonight that may have a question before we close it? Because I want to give you an opportunity if you have one. See, I started talking about spicy Mexican butter, and all you can think about is going and eating now, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Um, I had a scripture come to my mind during worship tonight, and I, I feel like I feel like I, I need to say it before we leave. It's Psalm chapter thirty-two, verse seven, and <clears throat> it says that you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And I think that's an extraordinary thing. What happens when praise comes out of your lips? When praise comes out of your heart in moments of great need, in moments of darkness, in moments of worry and fear and anxiety, what a mouth that praises God will accomplish. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Think about it. It's what helped Paul and Silas get out of jail. They were singing songs at midnight and the chains fell off and the prison doors were open. It's how Jehoshaphat and the whole Israel army got a victory against three different nations. God said, sing, sing my favorite song. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And as that happened, the scripture says that the Lord set ambushes and all the enemy just started killing each other right in front of Israel as they're singing. And they all just died right there. And Israel said, thank you for all your stuff. All they did was sing. He surrounds you with songs of deliverance. When you are under stress about something, when you're in a moment where you can't seem to find your way out, when you feel like the, your, your, your judgment's clouded, you're, you're, you're depressed, you're angry, whatever it might be, let me just challenge you today. In that moment, open your mouth and sing a song of praise to God and see your entire atmosphere change. Because the scripture says that he has perfected Praise by the mouths of uh, uh, in the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies to silence the enemy and the avenger. It is an in your face to the devil, because don't forget he was the song leader in heaven. I mean, the way the Bible describes him, I mean, he was a living musical instrument, but he lost that job. And every time you do his, his old job, when you sing praise to God, ah! just give him an in your face when the pressure's on. Say, thank you for reminding me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I, now I know that's an old song. Some of you know it. Shout to the Lord. That's an old song too now, but. <laughs> Never mind, I'm out of date. I used to be so proud that I knew all the new music. Now it passed me up. <laughs> but I'm grateful. Whatever. What I'm saying is just get a song of praise in your heart. Even if it, how about a new song? The Lord likes to hear your song. 
Hmm? Just sing a song to him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together tonight. Father, I just thank you. Can, can you just take somebody by the hand tonight? Just find somebody to connect to. Take somebody by the hand. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this union of believers here tonight. Lord, in this setting where people of faith gather together, there's an atmosphere of expectancy. There's an atmosphere of faith. And when people believe, they step into that realm of anything is possible. Lord, I know that there are some here tonight who need breakthrough. There are some here tonight who need your supernatural intervention in their situation. So tonight, we bind together in faith, hand in hand, arm in arm. And Father, I thank you right now for this joint effort together, this joint faith together, Lord, where one can put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. And there's much more than that here tonight, so it just gets exponential and continues to grow the power and the authority that's here in this room. When people of faith agree, and Jesus, you said, if just two or three agree as touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. So I thank you right now that needs are met. Chains are loosed in Jesus' name. I thank you right now in Jesus' name that your people live in freedom. Lord, I thank you for provision in Jesus' name. I thank you for healing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God, for restoring right now in Jesus' name. Lord, where there are relationships that are estranged, that are strained, I just call right now a supernatural restoration right now. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it is by your spirit that these things can be accomplished, Lord. Jesus, you just said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And we believe tonight. Let's say it together. We believe tonight, Jesus. We believe tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you right now for it, that your word will be accomplished to the fullest in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for songs of deliverance, God. You put a song in our heart, and as we worship you, Lord, hallelujah, we experience deliverance after deliverance after deliverance. It is a song of rest. It is a place of rest that you've called us to, to rest in the finished work of our living Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.